Welcome, you are listening to Lyrical Audio Candy Tour. I'm your host, Ellie Moon. This is where we explore books, poetry, and quotes that please every taste. So, come on, let's go! Literary treats await. Welcome back, everybody. This is part two. I am releasing letters 51 through 53. Nice, short, and sweet introduction to part two. I have to go cut my son's hair. (laughs) So I gave you a nice little taste of part two. This is Dangerous Liaisons, a reading by Ellie Moon. This book is by Pierre Chedelon de la Clarence. And we're speaking a little bit of French in this book, which is really nice. I never took French in high school or junior high. I took Spanish. So this is just a completely new experience for me. And I have to do a lot of research on how to pronounce some of these words. So hopefully I'm doing okay. I figure you can pretty much do anything you want in your life because we are in the time frame of the internet and if you can find a youtube video on it you're golden yeah let's face it you can do anything heck i'm cutting my son's hair and why because i watched a youtube video and i know how to do it (laughs) all right hang tight letters 51 through 53 beginning part two letter 51 the Marquise de Montoy to the Vicomte de Vermont. You really are impossible, Vicomte. You treat me as casually as if I were your mistress. You know very well you will make me angry. Just now I am in a terrible mood. What is it you are saying? You have to meet Downsney tomorrow morning. But... You know how important it is for me to talk to you before you see him. And you run around like that, keeping me waiting for the whole day long. You are the reason I arrived indecently late at Madame de Volange's and had all the old ladies thinking I was a merieux. I had to be nice to them the whole evening to pacify them. For one must not upset old ladies. They are the ones who make or break. The reputation of young ones. It is now one in the morning, and instead of going to bed, as I desperately wish, I have to write you a long letter, and that will make me twice as sleepy, for I shall be so bored by it. Fortunately for you, I do not have the time to scold you further. Don't imagine just because of that that I forgive you. It is simply that I am in a hurry. So listen to me, and I'll be quick. Tomorrow, if you use your expertise, Downsney should confide in you. The time is ripe for confidences. He is unhappy. Our young friend has been to confession. She has blurted everything out just like a child, and since then... She has been tormented to such a degree by the fear of the devil that now she wants to break it off completely. She confided in me all her little worries, so passionately that it made me realize what a state she is in. 
She showed me the letter in which she had broken it off. It is full of religious nonsense. She babbled to me for an hour without uttering a word of common sense. But she made it difficult for me all the same. For, as you can see, I could not risk being completely frank with someone of such feeble intelligence. Nonetheless, I could see in the midst of all this chatter that she is no less in love with her Donsny. I even notice she is, rather amusingly, the victim of one of those little tricks that love invariably plays. Tormented by the desire to think about her lover, and afraid of damning herself by doing so, she has hit upon the idea of praying to God to make her forget him. And, as she repeats this prayer at each and every moment of the day, she finds the means to think of him constantly. With someone more experienced than Donsney, this little circumstance would perhaps be more favorable than otherwise. But he is such a celadon that if we do not help him along, he will take an age to surmount the easiest of obstacles, and we shall not have enough time to carry out our plans. You are quite right. It is a pity, and I am as sorry as you are, that he should be the hero of this adventure. But there we are. What is done is done, and it is your fault. I asked to see his reply. It was pitiful. He reasons with her till he is blue in the face to prove to her that an involuntary feeling cannot be a crime. As if it did not stop being involuntary from the moment one ceases to fight it. This is such a simple idea. It even occurred to the girl. He complains of his misfortune in quite a touching way. But his suffering is so sweet and seems so strong and sincere that I believe a woman who finds the opportunity to make a man despair to this degree, and with so little danger, would find it impossible not to be tempted to indulge her fancy. He ends up explaining to her that he is not such a monk as she believes. And that is undoubtedly the best part. For if one went so far as to yield to a monk's embraces, one would most certainly not give the preference to Messieurs the Knights of Malta. Whatever the case, instead of wasting my time in argument with her, which would have compromised me and perhaps not convinced her, I approved of her plan to break it off. But I told her that in such cases it was more honest to tell the person why to their face, instead of writing to them, and that it was also customary to give back the letters and other fripperies one might have received. So, while appearing to see eye to eye with the girl... I persuaded her to accord Donsny a rendezvous. We immediately joined forces, and I took it upon myself to persuade the mother to go out without her daughter. Tomorrow afternoon is to be the fateful occasion. Donsny has already been informed. But for God's sake, if you have a chance... Use your influence to make this lovesick swain less indolent, and teach him, since you must be quite frank with him, that the real way to overcome other people's scruples is to ensure that they have nothing to lose. 
As to the rest, I took care to raise a doubt or two in our young friend's mind about the discretion of the confessors, so that there should be no repetition of this ridiculous episode, and I assure you that she is presently paying for the fright she gave me, since she fears the priest might go and tell her mother everything. I hope that after I had another chat or two with her, she will no longer go and prattle to the first person she sees. Adieu, Vicomte. Take hold of Dunsney and steer him along. It would be shameful if we did not do as we liked with two children. If we find in the process that we have more trouble than we expected, let us not forget, and this will give us strength that you were dealing with the daughter of Madame de Valanche, and I with the wife-to-be of Jacques. Farewell. From 2nd September 17. Letter 52. The Vicomte de Valon to the Presidente de Tavella. You forbid me, madame, to speak of my love. But how can I find the courage to obey you? Occupied solely as I am with a feeling which should be so sweet, and which you are rendering so cruel, languishing in the exile to which you have condemned me, living only on privation and regret, a prey to torment that is all the more painful because it reminds me constantly of your indifference. Must I then also lose the one consolation left to me? And how can I have any other but that of laying bare to you from time to time a soul which you fill with trouble and bitterness? Will you turn away your eyes from those tears you cause to flow? Will you refuse even the homage of the sacrifices you have exacted? Would it not be more worthy of you, of your sweet and honourable soul, to take pity on her poor unfortunate, who is so only because of you rather than inflict further sufferings on him by the prohibition, which is both unjust and severe? You pretend to be afraid of love, and are unwilling to see that... It is you alone who have caused the ills you blame love for. Oh, yes, this feeling is most certainly painful when the person who inspires it does not share it. But where may happiness be found if not in reciprocated love? Tender friendship, mutual trust, the only trust that is unconditional, pain diminished, pleasure increased, sweet hopes, delicious memories. Where can they be found but in love? You misrepresent it. You who, in order to enjoy all the good things it has to offer, need only not resist its pleasures. And in defending it, I forget my suffering. You force me to defend myself as well. For while I devote my life to adoring you, you spend your time in finding fault with me. You already assume I am frivolous and deceitful, and you persist in holding against me certain mistakes, which I have freely admitted to you. You are pleased to confuse what I was then with what I am now. 
not content with having delivered me to the torture of living far from you. You also tease me mercilessly about pleasures to which you know perfectly well. You have rendered me totally impervious. You believe neither my promises nor my oaths. Well, there remains one guarantee I can offer you that at least you will not be suspicious of. Yourself. All I ask is that you put the question honestly to yourself. If you do not believe in my love, if you doubt for one moment that you alone have dominion over my soul, if you are not assured of the fact that you have captured this heart, which has been too wayward until now, I agree to bear the consequences of this error. I shall bemoan my lot, but not make an appeal. But if, on the other hand, to be fair to both of us, you are forced to admit to yourself that you do not nor ever will have a rival, I entreat you, do not oblige me any longer to fight with this chimera, but allow me at least the consolation of seeing that you no longer doubt my feelings, which will only end, can only end, with my life. Permit me, madame to beg a positive response to this item in my letter. But if I cease talking about that period in my life which appears to be harming me so in your eyes, it is not that I am short of arguments in my defence. What did I do, after all, but fail to struggle against the whirlwind into which I was thrown, entering society young and inexperienced, passed around from one to another by a crowd of women who are all in a hurry to anticipate by the readiness with which they gave themselves an opinion which they felt would be in any case unfavourable. Was it up to me then to set an example by resisting what was being so freely offered? Or was I to punish myself for momentary lapses which had all too often been provoked by a constancy which was certainly pointless, and which would have been considered quite simply ridiculous, what else, except breaking it off immediately, can excuse a shameful choice? But I can tell you that this intoxication of the senses, which I might even call a deranged vanity, never touched my heart. Born for love... I might have been amused by these adventures, but they have never been enough to occupy my life. I have been surrounded by seductive but contemptible creatures, and not one has touched my soul. Pleasures were offered to me, but I was sick in virtue, and I often believed myself inconstant, being in fact both delicate and sensitive. It was when I set eyes on you that I saw the light. I realised that the charm of love resides in the qualities of the soul, that they alone can cause its excesses and provide the excuse for them. Then I felt it was equally impossible either not to love you or to love another. So here, madame, is the heart to which you fear to give yourself and upon whose fate you must pronounce. But whatever destiny you reserve for it, you will change nothing in the feelings by which it is bound to you. 
They are as unalterable as the virtues which brought them into being. From 3rd September 17. Letter 53, the Vicomte de Vermont to the Marquise de Montreuil. I have seen Donsney, but he was not entirely open with me. He particularly insisted on not mentioning the name of the little Volange girl, only speaking of her as a very good and even rather religious young woman. But he did recount the affair truthfully enough, and especially what happened that last time. I led him on as much as I could, and teased him a great deal about his delicate scruples. But he seems to set great store by them, and I cannot answer for him. For the rest I shall be able to tell you more the day after tomorrow. I am taking him to Versailles today, and shall make it my business to interrogate him on the way. The rendezvous supposed to have taken place today also gives grounds for hope. It is possible that everything may have worked out to our satisfaction, and perhaps all we have to do now is extract a confession and collect the evidence. This task will be easier for you to do than it will for me, for the girl is more confiding than her discreet lover, or more talkative. It comes to the same thing. However, I do what I can. Farewell, my dearest. I am in a great hurry. I shall not see you tonight nor tomorrow. If you find out anything on your side, write me a note for when I return. I shall certainly be back in Paris for the night. From 3rd September 17, in the evening. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back and spending time with me. I really do appreciate it. It really makes me feel good, the fact that you're coming back and listening to my letters. Well, they're not my letters, but <laughs> the letters that I'm reading uh, in the pipeline. I did speak of Wizard of Oz. However, I do not want to undertake another gargantuan book. Not that it's that gargantuan, but kind of. So, I am entertaining the idea of reading fairy tales, mm -hmm. like Snow White, Cinderella, all of the, uh, what is it, Grimm's fairy tales, Sleeping Beauty, things like that. Things like that, short and sweet little stories that maybe if you have kids, you can involve your kids too. I promise I'll keep it PG, okay? Just for you. All right. Have a good evening, everybody, and I'll catch you at the next reading.